Hi, how are you going? Very good. Can I uh, get a large cappuccino? Uh, dine in. And I'll get a ham and cheese croissant, please. Uh, no, that's your thing. So we're at Yahava Coffee in in uh, in West Swan, Swan, I, I, Swan Valley. From, yeah, we're in the Swan Valley, um, and I'm with Heinrich Strobel. <laughs> welcome, welcome to the welcome podcast, Heinrich. Did I say that right? No, but I'll I'll, I'll forgive you. Do you want to do you want to correct it then for the podcast? Hein- this is this Heinrich. is forever. <laughs> Heinrich Strobel. Yep. Yeah. yeah that, I think that's close to what I said. Yeah. Uh, probably. Yeah. I mean, you've done the very Australian pronunciation of it, which again, I'll grind you graceful. <laughs> Heinrich. Just, uh, no, just go okay. with Heino, like you normally do. Yeah. Carl. Yeah. Carl. <laughs> Carl or Heino, whatever, whichever suits is easiest for you. Um, and uh, Heinrich, we didn't we didn't get to write together this morning, um, no. but. I mean, that was mainly due to poor time management on your part. But. Yeah, basically, yeah. I, I, um, I was messing around at home and then messing around with a Garmin that wouldn't connect to satellites and, and whatever. But what, what, what ride have we done this morning? What ride have we done or what, what ride what, are we going to do afterwards? Well, what, what ride... Uh, well, I guess we've both just ridden from our house, right? And come yeah. Here. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so. I just... I, I was um, very close to having to be... Well, I was on this morning's program. I never had daycare drop off on my program. Yeah. So uh, when I was almost coaxed into doing daycare drop off, I um, I very quickly realised that you uh, you were you already organised this uh, this interview at nine yeah, o'clock. Yeah, it was so, very very. Uh, so I, I couldn't I couldn't um, I couldn't deviate from that plan. But also in the uh, trying to figure out whether I'm doing daycare drop off or not. I only left myself 20 minutes to get here, so I just sent it down the highway. <laughs> yeah, I, I was, uh, you were, as soon as I got out, I realized you were very lucky because, you know, we organized for nine o'clock and I thought, oh, about half an hour to get there, which is good because I only want to do an hour of recovery today. And then, um, and then I end up pushing straight into a headwind and I, and I was like, oh, well, you're going to have a great tailwind getting here. So we live on opposite sides of this cafe. We've kind of met in the middle. So, yep. um, so okay, so you you almost had to do drop off this morning. So Heinrich, you're you're a you're a relatively recent dad. Yes. Uh, how how are you finding that? It's very entertaining. Very entertaining. Very entertaining. Um, I'd probably say that obviously, my wife being a mother, she's adjusted to it much better than I am. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's like it was kind of forced upon her. So you know, I'm not really very handy in terms of feeding the baby. Yeah. Um, I can't really offer the same services she can. No, she definitely uh, <laughs> is, is built a bit different to you. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, I'm, you know, I'm really looking forward to the point where, you know, little Hugo can run around and, and you know, the, uh, when, when I finally am in a position to offer her a sleep in again, that would mm-hmm. be, you know, that'll be what I'm, what I'm keen to do. I'm sure Sam would be quite keen for that oh, as well. I would, yeah. yeah. She would always, she always before before we had Hugo, she was always the kind of person who said, "Oh no, 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 I can't function on, I can't function on just eight hours sleep. I don't know how you people do it." Yeah. Like, well, eight hours is you know the the prescribed amount for any normal human being. Yeah. But apparently she's not a normal human being. So, 
know, she needs more than that. So I'm. I'm well, she keen. puts up with you, so you know, she does. Yeah, 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 I mean, she's absolutely makes her not utter, such a normal human utterly being. exhausted. So <laughs> I would, uh, I understand why she needs more than eight. That's good. That's good. Oh, so yeah. So obviously the that, um, that not being able to put up with eight hours sleep before, I, I'm sure she's wishing for that right now. So uh, oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. She's a nurse as well, so you know, she's got. She really doesn't have her toes buttered on either side. No, so yeah. she's she's getting battered on everywhere, um, and then with me not being able to take take Hugo off her for a, for extended periods without him being because he's he's in going through a bit of a, a period where he's incredibly incredibly attached to her. Yeah. So like if he she'll she'll hand him over to me in the mornings, and if he even spots her, like I, I just say to just to disappear out of sight because if if he spots her in any way shape or form, he'll just like no. <laughs> Come back! <laughs> just lose it. Um, so yeah, it's 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 hard to offer that you know a little bit of respite. Yeah, no, that's um, fair enough. Unfortunately, and, but you know we'll get there. We'll get there. One day he'll stop bothering her and he'll start bothering me, and I'll be able to take him out of the house and distract him for longer the periods than that, and that's she'll good. have a decent sleeping. It will pass slowly. Yeah, yeah. Oh, fair enough. This and too shall pass. <laughs> this, too, this too shall pass. Um, and. Well, I guess let, let's get into the, the cyclist of Heinrich, Heinrich Strobel. Um, what, uh, what's your background in cycling, Heinrich? Where, where, where did you start? Well, I mean, my cycling journey really started when my older brother, George, he was a, I don't know how to, well, I don't know if Australia has a certain, it's, I mean, likened to footy, he was probably like a provincial type level, like a waffle player level player in rugby. Yep. In um, South Africa, in where South Africa, from, yeah. yeah. Um, so he he did rugby. He was he was in high school on a full scholarship. He went to one of the top rugby schools um, in South Africa, um, and he injured his knee horribly, um, almost to the point where they said, "Look, if you don't want to do your first knee reconstruction before you're 30, you should probably stop playing." Yeah. Um, which was quite unfortunate because that you know that's the whole reason he went to that school for. Um, um, so that was great college. Uh, and uh, yeah, he started doing cycling for rehabilitation's sake, and you know the bug bit, and we end up. He was he's always a, he's a bit more of a stronger build, bigger legs. So they always said, oh, you should try out track cycling. Yeah, uh, you know, I reckon you'll be you'll, you'll do pretty good there. And um, I suppose my mum and dad at one stage were considering moving over to Australia um, as in a total immigration type vibes because my father is a, uh, a programmer and my mum is probably the most overqualified English teacher I've ever come across in my life. Yeah. Um, she's actually a uh, PhD in human movement sciences, Yeah. So, but she decided she wanted an adventure. So they've just recently went to Poland and she's teaching English to primary school kids. So. Oh, at the moment? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, uh, yeah. Well, you know, I, like I said, she's just looking for an adventure. So yeah. she's a bit of an adventurous type. That's, probably, cool. that's probably where I got it from. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we you know started following him around, going to all sorts of cycling events, and uh, you know, as young kids, me and my younger brother, we got bored with just sitting around waiting for him to come back to the finish line. So we decided to take part in as well. What? What? How old was he? And what's the age uh, gap between you guys? How I can't remember how old he was when he started cycling, but we are two, two, and two. So yeah. he, I'm thirty years old, thirty-one years old now. He'll be thirty-three this year, and my younger brother will be thirty. So my math is already failing me. Um, he'll be tweet. No, he'll, he's turning 30. I'm turning 32. Sorry. I'm turning 32 this year. My younger brother's turning 30 and my older brother's turning 34. 
Yeah, I, I get the exact same thing. Like, uh, it's at this. I, I feel like it's at this point where you stop remembering exactly how old you are. Like, yeah, the, the, yeah. I'm just like, I no, didn't have this problem five no years ago. No one wants to know how old you are. Or like, if they do, they're just like, no, no, no. We just want to gauge how to judge you. Like, how grown up are you for your age? Yeah. Like, no, you, leave me alone. I'm fifty. And do you feel like you're very grown up? For Absolutely, your age? Not. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And so, okay, so you were following him around to races and, uh, sorry to interrupt this story. No, before, no, no. But, um, I just got bored. Yeah, you got bored waiting for him yeah. at the start line. Yeah. So we started racing as well. Um, yeah, it's, it's funny. Me and my brother are, me and my brothers are very much the, uh, I guess the quintessential tale of Goldilocks, you know. This one's, uh, is it Goldilocks or is it the three, the three bears? It's both. That's the same it's story. The same yeah, story, yeah. yeah. <laughs> same story. So it was like, yeah, my brother was a, Physiologically, he was built as a sprinter. Yep. So he did sort of the track. He went into track cycling more sprinting style. Uh, my younger brother is very much more an endurance athlete. So he was, you know, if it came down to muscle fibers, he would be, older brother would be white muscle fibers, fast twitch. Yeah. My younger brother would be the Kenyan between the lot of us. And yeah. he would be the endurance runner or he's yeah. the endurance cyclist. And then I, you know, just right in the middle and and I, can, I can swing either way I'm, I'm pink if they, depending on and we actually when we were both or all three of us were part of the high performance program back in South Africa yeah um, and that's pretty much what they told us they said look he's a sprinter you're an endurance rider you're right in the middle depending on which one you train more that'll be what will what'll be your strongest point so I'm a bit of a hybrid Awesome. So, which one did you end up training more? Where, where I don't did you know. Go? I still haven't. I still haven't made a choice. <laughs> so I just try and do all of it. Uh, so, where, okay. So, you, so what? What age were you when you started riding then? Uh, and did, did your parents ride at all or anything? Recreationally. Yeah. Um, I guess in South Africa, there's a big event called the Cape Town Cycle Tour, which used to be called the Argus. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad has done ten of them, which means you get a permanent number after you attend. Tenth yep. August, you you do you get a permanent number and you and you get to partake every year with your permanent number that you've yeah. uh, that they've been awarded you as your as your you know sort of that's cool yeah. loyal following of the uh, of the event. Um, but yeah, so I probably did my first proper race as a 15, 16 year old. Um, yeah, pretty, just, that's pretty late in terms of yeah yeah I, well, I guess so. I, I don't know. I mean, actually, no. I had no point of reference, so. It's probably, it's probably not. There's plenty of teenagers that are still coming to the sport at that time. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, no. Well, now, not anymore, because if you're not Renko and Eminem getting signed at 18 years old with a world title against your name, then. But he only started cycling around that age, didn't he? Like around 14, 15, I think. Yeah, but he, I guess, but he was, already a, he was already a professional soccer player. Yeah, but. So you're probably the Renko of. Oh, I'd cycling, like to maybe. think yeah, so, yeah, but yeah. no, no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I was. Um, I was lucky enough, I always use uh, Louis Mankis as my point of reference. I was lucky enough to be in the same age category as him. Yep. And I got absolutely smoked at our nationals uh, in a time trial against him. Um, I thought I was a big dog yeah. going after because Louis Mankis was my one minute man. And I was, it was a, it was a very simple out and back time trial. Um, little did I realize that out was a downhill and up was a slight incline. Um, so I thought I was an absolute, you know, swinging, swinging big dog, <laughs> rolling, almost catching the Mankies at the at the halfway mark, and then when we turned around, he dropped me like a hot sack of shit. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah Mankies very, very small. Very small. Uh, I mean, you know, he's got very, he's considering his his uh, his pedigree. The guy's come eighth of the Tour de France twice without yeah. much support. So you know, so you probably would have been around ninth or tenth oh, in that oh, Tour de France. Ma- so. No, no. <laughs> let's be honest. I'm not a, I'm not built for climbs, mate. 
<laughs> I'm a bit more heavy set than Louis was. Probably a little bit. All right. So, um, all right. So, you started racing around 15, 16. And, and so, when, when did you. Uh, how far did you want to take it? When did you want to take it seriously, like Um, I probably say as a junior, I was pretty in in like trying to like take it as far as I could. Track and road. Track and road. Yeah. Um, I probably my preference always lent more towards the track. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, you know, South Africa just doesn't have a massive track cycling scene. I mean, it's it's big, but it's nowhere near as here in Australia. You know, you hear every year of the, the breakthrough riders that are coming through like Lucas Platt, um, Luke Durbridge, Michael Hibben, all these guys have this incredible track pedigree and they all come from the track whereas like in South Africa track is very much considered a secondary discipline. Yeah. Mountain biking is by far and above the biggest yeah, discipline in South Africa. Um, so yeah, I, I mean I you know, didn't do myself any favours by leaning towards the smallest of the three disciplines. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, and, and you know, as a I would I class professional riders as people that get paid to ride their bikes. So technically speaking, I never made it as a pro. Yeah. Um, I only got as far as you know getting race entries sponsored and you know team kit sponsored and stuff like that. But I never actually pulled a salary. Yeah. Um, from being a professional rider, which I guess by definition doesn't make me a pro. It doesn't make me an ex pro. But I'd like to think I would like I'd like to think I was pretty close. So um, where 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 did you get up to? Where? Um, so you, 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 you're a junior, 15, 16, 17. Um, I'm 23. Uh, so on the ju- junior time, I was very lucky as a junior. I got to, I, I think I had a breakthrough ride in my first year of junior. I won the national point, point rate, points race yep. uh, on the track. And um, the next year was, you know, sprinkled with a bit of controversy. I got... Um, Overlooked to go to the world world team, uh, world's team in Monticciari, Italy. Yeah. Uh, where one of my teammates from the previous year managed to win a world title, which I was very very excited for him about. Unfortunately, yeah. I did not get the same chance to give it a go. Um, especially considering that I went, I came to Australia on a training camp for I think three months. Yeah. Preparing with the Aussie national team um, for that for that specific year. And uh, ended up getting, you know, as nicely as you can put it, probably shafted. Yeah. Uh, got shafted out of the world's team by, you know, guys that didn't have a national title to their names to go to that squad. Um, yeah, so, you know, had, I had the choice of uh, either doing well in school or going balls to the wall at nationals. And I ended up having my revenge at nationals. So, you know, school results suffered forward, but I walked away with five national titles, so I'm pretty happy with that. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> All right. That's pretty nice. Um, and so from there, so you, you finished school. How did you go at school? I passed. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed school. Uh, school was very much my, uh, my social. It was more my social time than my, uh, than my study time. Yeah. I would no, say. That's fair enough. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, it's... Um, the, uh, the reason I ask is it's, it's hard. Like you know, you, you see a lot of uh, a lot of young athletes who um, you're under a lot of pressure, obviously at that time, mm-hmm. and um, and it, you kind of end up having to pick one or the other. Like if you yeah. want to go really hard at school, you, yeah, you go hard at school, and then if you want to go uh, really hard on the bike, then school becomes kind of that second. Priority. Again, this is probably where I would use Liam Mankies as a point of reference and say 
I have no excuses for being shit at school because yeah. Louis Mankey's passed with eight distinctions <laughs> at high school and was uh, had a pro contract waiting for him at the end of the year. So yeah, no, that's fair enough. <laughs> no, maybe we're just not good enough. <laughs> maybe, maybe, yeah, we just weren't cut out for the pro yeah. world. Uh, should have focused at school. No, that's fair enough. Um, so okay, you, you finished school, so you're what, around 17, 18? Yeah, eighteen. Yeah, eighteen. And um, and then where did you go in cycling from there? Um, I still raced competitively as a uh, under twenty three. Um, all the way till probably about 25, which is when I decided to, to call call it on trying to become a professional. Whereabouts um, are you racing at this time? Like uh, in South Africa or? All over the shop, really. I tried to give it give it a crack in Belgium, which was absolutely awesome. I loved every second of being in Belgium. Um, didn't quite get my head kicked in as hard as I expected to in Belgium, which was great. Um, it's just it's just such a massive financial undertaking to go back there every year yeah. to try and get there again. Oh, that's food. That's food. Do I have to go up and get a door? Yeah. All right. Little break to get our food, on it. That, that was good. Treat yourself. This coffee Treat looks yourself. good. <laughs> Your ice coffee looks great. Hang on. This is this is what I always forget, right? So this is going to be a bit meta. So I'm going to be recording the podcast while also taking a photo for the podcast. And this is why our power to weight ratio always suffers. <laughs> it's a recovery day. I need yeah. to fully recover my body. Um, and you're about to go out and do, yeah. Let's call it five hours. Let's take five hours, yeah. <laughs> um, all right, so you said, okay, you tried in Belgium. Belgium wasn't as hard as you thought. Um, where else did you end up? Um... So I guess, uh, you know, kind of, I worked as a graphic designer for, yep. for my father's business. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, obviously being part of a family business, I, uh, I probably got away with doing way less work than I should have. Mm-hmm. Um, I always thank my dad for that. Yeah. Um, you know, he gave me the opportunity to actually pursue trying to become a professional athlete. Um, probably at the detriment of his own business because I did absolutely <laughs> nothing. Um, and I have to say a special thanks to both my cousins for, you know, carrying carrying the weight of my of my unproductivity on their shoulders. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I raced pretty much all across South Africa. I think the South Africa's racing scene is very different um, to Australia's where you guys have dedicated road cycling events like the NRS, mm-hmm. um, which is catered specifically to you know, national ranking athletes um, who are coming there specifically for the for the uh, the goal of racing. Where in South Africa, uh, pro racing, you know, obviously in brackets, pro racing is considered an an an, an add on to South Africa's Grand Fonda racing team. Mm-hmm. So let's say we've got very similar to what Belgium has. They've they've got their classics, so their classic events like Paris Roubaix, all this, that, and the other. We've got five classics across sprinkled across the South African season. Um, but they're all mass participation events. So because South Africa shares a very similar climate to Australia, the pros always settle first rather than last. Yep. Um, it's a bit less of a spectacle, I guess, which is probably why the cycling scene in South Africa suffers as, as much. Um, but we would, like, we would quite regularly, a, five, a five, 5.30 a.m. start for us is a normal thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so imagine trying to shove oats down your throat at four to try and get on the start line for five. 
um, it's it's a bit rough. It's hard yakka trying to do that. That's my most Australian phrase I've learned recently. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like we we would do that. Um, but so that being a mass participation event means that there are similar to Tour of Margaret River, where you've got shoots and shoots and shoots of riders lining up to go and partake in this event, and it's all individually timed type things. So you've got bunches and bunches of riders. And it's a, it's, a, it's a huge, huge event, but the focus on the pro cycling side of it is so small that it doesn't really matter. Yeah, it's just the like events, an afterthought. It's, an after, it's a complete yep. afterthought. And that's, and that's personally, that's why a lot of South African cyclists have to take a very similar path to that of Australians to try and break through is you have to go overseas. You have to yep. go and race in Belgium, race in France, or, you know, whatever part, whatever part of country suits your style of riding. Um, I guess for us, the barrier to European racing is much, much smaller than it is for you guys. Because mm -hmm. probably the biggest thing I've heard from the aspiring professional athletes here in Australia is that homesickness is a huge thing. Yeah. And I think a big part of that is because there's such a big language barrier. Yeah. Where in South Africa, every every province of South Africa is considered or, or is expected to speak three languages. It's expected to speak Afrikaans, English, and the African language of that region. Um, not necessarily in that order, yeah. but that is the expectation. So for a lot of English-raised South African athletes, they go over to Belgium, they can still understand the language. So we can, and in Afrikaans-raised athletes, we can speak Flemish or Dutch or, yeah. you know, whatever. It's very it's, similar, it's, yeah? It's very, very similar. It's just a funny accent. Yeah. So, you know, I'm basically just adding a bit of twang onto my onto my words and the, all of a sudden they understand me <laughs> yeah. um, and vice versa and uh, you know we just need to start we just when we speak to the Belgian athletes or we, we just speak slower and they understand us they call they call Afrikaans baby Dutch yeah. um, so it's basically like imagine having a child and teaching it Dutch till the age of four and then just leaving it to its own devices to make up the rest of the yeah. language that's basically what happened to Afrikaans so yeah, there's, so the language barrier is nowhere near as big for us. So the homesickness doesn't set in as badly, anywhere near as bad as it does yeah, it's definitely for the Aussie athletes. A, definitely a big thing. Like um, I've been over to Europe to race or anything, but definitely when I did go, I remember thinking like, um, you go to some countries and they're really really good with English and yeah. that's fine. But you go to some places and especially when you go to places that aren't in like in the middle of a city um so like if you're talking like Italian towns or yeah. like you know like um yeah out of the way of where tourists go yeah then all of a sudden the old the old man at the at the corner store is not going to make an effort to try and speak no, english he's to got you. no idea yeah. yeah and and um and it, it can be super super isolating like hmm. you know I, i'm sure most people consider me relatively talkative and hmm. and and loud and stuff and then um and then you like I remember going to Europe and going, like, I've just got to, I can't really talk to anyone. Bit of an for, introvert for now. Next, yeah, for the next week, you know, like I'm kind of stuck here. And then, um, and then it's also, in, it can also be quite intimidating as well to go, you know, you go to some Dutch deli and they ask you for the money in 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 Dutch and then you, they can see you don't speak Dutch. So then they instantly switch to English, like mm. so easily as well. Um, it, so yeah, sometimes can, you forget it's a second language of theirs. Yeah. And and they speak better English than they me. They speak so good. English. <laughs> yeah. I remember, like, I, I was um, in like a in like a convenience store buying a drink, and the guy asked for the money in in uh, Dutch. 
I didn't understand him, and I think I said something that, like in English or something, and then I give him the money at the same time, and he just gives me the, the change and calls it out in yep. English. So he's gone from he switched from to asking me money in Dutch and then calling out money in English, like yep. and, and like yeah, it was. Um, I'm. It makes you yeah when you're not used to that um, and you're not ready for that, and you're also you know cycling puts you in a really. Uh, it can put you in like a really deep place, right? Yeah. You're, you're already compromised. You're not there as a tourist, kind of just la yeah. la la. Look at oh, look at the. You're here to try and achieve a goal, and then you're just hampered by all these other. Yeah, you're already getting like your things. head kicked in in a race, and then this and that, and like, and so to to also be somewhere where you're you feel isolated, you don't have that resilience to put up with it. That, yeah. Like maybe a tourist to get away with it for a few weeks, whereas a cyclist might be like. This is horrible. Like, That's uh, why it's so important to go to these places with friends, man. Yeah, mm. absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, okay, so you, I once, uh, I once had an argument with one of my Dutch teammates when I was racing in Belgium. It was post race, and I can't remember what exactly we were discussing, but we weren't having a fight. We were just having an, we were just having a, a, a difference of opinion. And at one point, at one stage, he was like, "I think we're at an impasse." And I remember having to like jump on my phone real quickly, like without him seeing and like googling what the impasse was. And I was like, "Oh, we're caught between a rock and a hard place." I'm like, "Cool, yeah, no worries." Um, and I was like, "Yeah, you forget that these people are capable of not only flipping between languages, but they speak it at such a higher level than than you know." Uh, you speak, you tell any Australian, "I think we're at an impasse," and they go, "Yeah, what, I'll have to Google that. What? What, mate? You said what?" <laughs> no, that's good. Okay, so. Um, all right, so trying in Belgium for a little bit. Um, yep. Actually, I want to jump back just quickly. So you, you spoke about mountain biking being by far the I'm biggest, sure biggest discipline yep. in in South Africa. Yeah. So what made you not? Because oh, I'm horrible at it. <laughs> my I, I went riding mountain biking with my uh, with my older brother once, and he um, he took me through our local single track section, which section which is called Brankop. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like a rock garden single track. It was very rocky. And he, uh, I remember at the end of the section, he stopped and he said to me, mate, you're, really pre- you're pretty quick for someone who eats every rock going through going through that section. I'm like, fuck off, leave me alone. Um, you know, it's not for me. <laughs> so, and I just, don't have the, I just don't have the confidence in the bike handling skills. Um, but for some reason, you know, stick, a, stick an elbow in my ribs in the middle of a crit race and I'm completely fine with it. But... Uh, but Going through a single track rock section or trying to dodge trees is just not for me. Do you think that? Um, so I, I obviously grew up mountain biking, so mm-hmm. it's a little bit different for me. But I know it's like, and were you already a decent cyclist at this point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So um, really bad. <laughs> you notice it a lot with with cyclists who are a little bit more accomplished can actually ride a bike. Mm. The frustration they feel when they're mountain biking in that they can't apply that that fitness and power they have because they, their skills literally can't keep up with that. Um, and so, and also, you know, their, their ability to get to the top of a nice big hill and and uh, get to the start of a difficult trail is there. Whereas on a beginner mountain biker, they might not even try a hill. It's just too hard and stay on the flats and stuff like that. Um, and so they can get themselves into situations that then they find a really difficult to get out of as well. Yep. So it can be a really intimidating sport. So do you think you'll ever go back to mountain biking? No, no chance. No chance at all? No. no. I like racing local crits. 
The hand marking's just that, but... That's more my speed. Quite literally, my speed. <laughs> um, mountain biking just makes me feel like a child. Like, I've got to relearn a whole other discipline. I don't have the time or the patience for that right now. <laughs> So, okay, you tried luck in Belgium. Um, obviously, there's a fair bit of gap between 18 and 25. So, um, and you're working as a graphic designer in your dad's business this yeah. whole time? Well, hardly working. Um, hardly working. <laughs> but, um, so, worked as a graphic designer, trying luck in Belgium, came back to South Africa, kept racing locally. And then, um, in in and in in and amongst all this as well, um, I met my now wife. Yep. As well, so we kept in touch. We maintained five years with a long distance relationship as well through this whole process, which was you know not as fun as it sounds. Where did you meet? In Australia. Yep. Yeah. Um, on that training camp that I was on in preparation for the Italian World Champs that I mm -hmm. never went to. Um, so you know, but that was you know that was awesome. Whereabouts in Australia was the training camp? Uh, it was here in Perth. Oh, here in it Perth. It was here in Perth, yeah. So, and then obviously we had a weekend off racing and we went to Busselton and uh, I met her there because I went and surprised my cousin at school and she was one of her classmates. That's cool, yep. Yeah. So, we just stayed in touch after that, you know, kept, kept, the, kept the chat alive. Yep. And, you know, that's the beauty of... Uh, of a Facebook, I guess. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Getting, getting to stay in touch with people for so long from so far. So yeah, um, still kept trying to racing in in South Africa. Went to Mauritius. How, how, how old would you have been when I met Sam? When you met Sam, yeah. Oh, eighteen? Was I eighteen? Yeah, yeah, I was eighteen because so I graduated in I graduated in twenty ten. Graduated in 2010, okay, yeah, all right. Yeah, so it would have been 18 when I met Sam. Yeah. Um, and then we got married at, We got married when I was 25, so that's when I decided to call it. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> I was like, cool. All right, this is, this is, I'm settled down with Sam, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I guess where, where my life sort of, not necessarily took a turn, but where I realized that I like to combine my love for people and my love for cycling was when I got an opportunity to go work in Dubai. Um, I went working in Dubai. Me and Sam, our, our relationship and sort of our, our wedding was very backwards in the sense that we already had the whole wedding planned and everything prior to having the engagement done. Yep. So I went to Dubai with the specific goal of saving up for the wedding. Yep. Um, which we already had a date set for and a venue and everything, <laughs> but we, we still weren't engaged at this point. So... Um, well, I went to Dubai and I worked in a bike shop. So at the, I guess the now world famous Wolfie's bike shop. Yep. Um, and yeah, that's where I realized my, I guess my, my, my love for the cycling industry. Yeah. Um, so getting to combine, you know, my love for cycling as an aspiring, never getting, never getting there, but you know, an aspiring professional cyclist, but also getting to help people be faster and better and smoother on the bike as well by selling them the right equipment. Yeah. And you know having that you know understanding of how beneficial this could be for your journey or your you know your personal journey on, on the bike is uh, is really where i you know sort of i guess how you say cut your teeth yep for it um and then yeah sort of cycling cycling retail and and 
and my my job that I work that I do now is sort of where I where I where I found the love for that. So I came to Australia, um, and started with Trek um, as a company. So Trek Bicycle Company. This was just before. This was they only had one shop in Perth, which is the one in Leadville. Um and we were hands-on involved in the four years that I was with Trek. We were hands-on involved in the building of all the new stores, yep. um, and the the actual transition of the the TBE bicycle entrepreneur um, sort of you don't want to call it a takeover because it wasn't a takeover. It was a it was just to call it a transition. Uh, yeah, 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 to the to being Trek stores. Yeah, stuff, to yeah. being Trek stores. So yeah, it was um, it was a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun, uh, and I wouldn't have traded my time in Dubai. For the world, because if it wasn't for Dubai, I would have never been ready for anything. What that, age were you in Dubai? Twenty-one. Yeah. yeah, and I was still racing in Dubai as well, which was good fun. So was that? Were you there all the way till twenty-five when you decided? No, to... no, no, no. I only, I only was in Dubai for about nine months. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. And like I said, went there with this explicit goal of saving for the wedding. Yeah. So, called it, came back, got married in South Africa. Um, because it's so much cheaper than getting married in Australia. Yeah, I hear horror stories now of all friends getting married and how much money they've got to spend on it. And then we just go, "This guy should just uh, probably cheaper to just fly over there and have a wedding somewhere else." Absolutely, like where, where we are in the Swan Valley now. Like mm. if you um, if you ask the venue to host a wedding or whatever, then it feels like it's an extra. And you extra can ask a shit venue there. as well. Yeah, you can, it still costs more than what my wedding costs. Stupid. Yep. No, it's uh, yeah, it's the the wedding industry. Oh, I don't know if it's same. I'm I'm assuming it's relatively it's the, the same, same everywhere, everywhere. But but yeah, just maybe the cost the cost in tariffs were a little bit less and stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean, crazy. considering you guys love going to Bali, I'm surprised no one has their wedding all their weddings in Bali. There, there's a lot of weddings in Bali. I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Like, I love it. Uh, but um. Yeah, no, it's, it's crazy. So, okay, married in in uh, Dubai in when you were twenty five. Uh, sorry, married in South Africa when you were twenty five. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and then what came to Australia? Came back to Australia after yeah. that. Yep. Yeah. So I mean, obviously, there's a lot more. There's a lot more to the story of visa battles before that, but that's we can do a whole another episode on that. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So in short, moved to Australia. Um, when after we got married well, we stayed in South Africa for a little bit and then obviously once all the visas and everything were approved and whatnot we came over to Australia and yeah just started a whole new life here because I always thought that it was you know there was more more of a future here for if we decided to have kids which yeah. we now do um, there was always more of a future here in terms of education safety um, just the fact that you don't have to you know worry about Walking outside in your street or down the street at six p.m. at night and having not get mugged. Yeah, is, that's kind of a you know it's a it's, that's, it's a bit of a draw. A plus side, yeah, it's yeah. a bit of a draw. Absolutely. It's a bit of a draw point to uh, to Australia in general. Um, I mean, I love South Africa. I'd, I'd definitely go back for holidays, but it's not somewhere where I would want to. You know, at at the moment, at the the current, I don't want to be one of those bad bad immigrants that says oh South Africa's a shit all and yeah. you know you need a gun you need to carry a gun with you 24-7 down the street or something like that it's not that bad a place Everywhere, everywhere's got you know dodgy spots I mean you can go to Perth and get stabbed as well yep um, you just need to hang out in the right spots so mm. you know 
got to know the right people. <laughs> he's got to know the <laughs> right people. Kind of service. If you, yeah, if you want that kind of service, you just need to hang out in the right spots and know the right people. So, um, you know, everywhere's got everywhere's got dodgy spots and and whatnot. And I just think that from a from a raising a family type perspective, Australia was always a, a, a better bet. Yeah. Um, so that was one of the main reasons we came here. That's fair um, yeah, I miss my family. I miss my friends still. But, Have you got uh, any family in Perth at all? Only, no, no family in Perth. No, that's a lie. Um, my father's cousin, his kids, they live in Perth. Ah, so I just, I just, I can't family. be bothered. I can't, yeah, very close. Um, I can't be bothered calling them whatever, however far down the lineage or second cousin once removed and all that nonsense. I just say they're my cousins. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they... They they live in Perth and we 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 regularly hang out. And so where are your where are your brothers now? My both my brothers are still in South Africa. My youngest brother is still in my hometown, Bloemfontein, um, and my older brother is in Cape Town now. And my mum and dad only just got back from Poland on my mother's teaching adventure. Um, They just only got back from Poland. They're gonna go go back to back to Bloemfontein in the hometown stay there for however long and obviously with Hugo being their first grandchild they uh, they uh, want to kind of try and travel as much as they can come and see him as well so, so have they seen him yet or they have they have yeah. seen him uh, yeah uh, it was it was when he was very young though so I mean he's only one year old now so he wasn't very yeah wasn't making memories yet he wasn't yeah. making memories yet so yeah so hopefully hopefully we'll get to see each other a bit more often yeah um, now that's cool. Um, and how did your and your brothers still in cycling at all, or did, did any of them? I'm probably get... I'm probably the only brother that still actively rides and races. Yep. Um, my younger brother was by far a better athlete than me. He had way more grit, but um, he he was proper proper got the nail in the coffin. Um, the throughout the COVID period, he had everything yeah. set and ready to go to Belgium again, um, and go with a team, race with a team, and then it just all kind of fell apart through COVID, and it was just sort of like you know, we had this very same conversation of you know you're you're this old now, let's be realistic. How far can you keep going without? Yeah, because he would have been around 26, 25, 25, 26, yeah, around, yeah. yeah, and we were just like, look. If your name's not Remco and you're not getting signed at 18 with the world title behind your behind yeah. your name, you know it's pretty hard to knock out a pro contract at the moment. So, especially considering you're not even you're a foreigner, yeah. you're not a Belgian. Um, so trying to go get a pro contract with that in mind, um, and he came to Perth to come and visit me, um, and he landed just before Perth had its first lockdown. Yeah, um, you know, so he was in a bit of a mental hole as well, putting himself through all sorts of training, trying to get fit for the Belgian block and then, you know, got trapped here during COVID. So his three month holiday turned into a six month training camp. Yep. Um, and yeah, and then we had to have that conversation and he had to, you know, sit down and cause he's studying to be an accountant as well. So, you know, he was writing exams and all that stuff. Again, this is probably where, you know, I, could, probably could have done better at school considering my younger brother <laughs> was studying to be an accountant whilst pursuing a professional cycling career as well. Um, I'm just contradicting myself saying how well I did at school and then <laughs> proof, proof that I didn't. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, you know, he had to sit down and, and 
sit in front of the scales on the way up and see what. Uh, we're at 40 minutes so 40 far. Minutes, yeah. 40 minutes, yeah. <laughs> um, had to see how, you know, whether it was going to become a realistic option to, to still become a pro cyclist or not. And ended up going back to South Africa and got a job as a as a as a as an accountant and doing really really well for himself. That's good at the moment. So that's good. Yeah, yeah I think it, he'll, it, he'll probably start riding again soon, but not competitively like we once were. Yeah, you'll have to get back to my level. How did you how did you find so obviously you're a pretty decent cyclist at, at one point um, not anymore no oh, mate under twenty three <laughs> national time trial champion there you go yeah. so um, but how how did you did you take so after twenty five where you decided okay that's it I'm not going to pursue cycling as a career anymore yeah um, did you take an extended period off the bike did you no no I never took any time off the bike I always kept riding yep. Um, the only time I really took off the bike unintentionally was when I first moved over to Australia and started working with Trek. Yeah. Um, I obviously with the building and the developing of the new stores, there is an element of having to be busy building stuff and doing physical labor. Yeah. And uh, it was really tiring, and I unintentionally took a lot of time off the bike and entered my first crit back in the Perth cycling scene and it was the uh, Subiaco Super Crit yep. and I was like yeah 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 I'm a still an A grader 100% because the last race I came I came off before moving to Australia was the state crit titles which I won Yeah. Um, so I was like yeah yeah I'm still an A grader and then got my absolute head kicked in by Guy Kalmar and uh, Cam Meyer and all these boys who yeah, came right. home came home for the Subiaco Super Crit and I, I just got stomped the, there was like no agro field left. It was yeah, like Guy no. Karma, Cam Meyer, and Luke Derbridge, I think. And Freeberg off the front. Oh, sorry, Freeberg, not not Derbridge. And Aaron, Aaron, what was his name? Funny little guy. Never wore long socks. Always ankle socks. I can't remember. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Doesn't matter. It was oh, yeah. four, four guys. He almost crashed on one of the corners as well because he went through so hot that he almost ate shit. Oh, um, and like went right up into the barriers kind of thing. Or, almost or, went into the bar. Like yeah, yeah. He literally it was his rear wheel literally slipped out from under him, and he managed to somehow save it. Oh, I think I remember that actually, because that was uh, yeah, that was a brutal crit. I, I remember oh, that, that, was, that, was a, yeah. that was a horrible. So that was then when I uh, realised I'm no longer an agrader. And um, to... how did you how did you go reconciling? Because I, I know, I, I look, I was never a, a great cyclist, but I know that I was. I was hard. <laughs> <laughs> it was hard. It was a massive shot to the ego. Yeah, I imagine uh, like because I. I remember what it was like to be relatively quick and then coming back to the sport and going like, hang on, you're just not that quick. Like, yeah. was, that a di- was that a difficult thing for you to reconcile? I that- still struggle with it. Yeah. I still struggle with it. Knowing what I was capable of and not being able to produce that now, I still struggle with it. Um, especially now racing with you guys. I'm also part of the Dome team. In the, you know, I just take pride in the fact that we can absolutely stomp the B-grade crits because <laughs> I'm not an A-grade rider. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. <laughs> so I use... a. Uh, I very much rely on uh, on previous experience than fitness yeah. to get me through crits. You know, you can either, like I said to my uh, my training partner in the hills, Doug. Uh, what's Doug's last name now. Stuart. I can't remember. Doug Stewart. Yeah. <laughs> Every time we go riding, I said I said to him once, you, you can in crits, you can either afford to be incompetent or unfit. You can't afford to be both. Yeah. So you either have to I'm race quite on often both, actually. yeah, yeah. <laughs> hence why you don't why you race C grade now. Um, so yeah, it's like you know you can either afford to be not race savvy mm-hmm. or you can be afford to be unfit. 
yeah. and, at, and I'm, I'm just racing on savvy like, yeah. at the moment because you know once I can finally get my fitness back to where it was I'll probably try and go and uh, you know give A grade another go and see how, how hard I get my head kicked in fair enough so I guess that, that moves on well like what, what are your what are your current goals for cycling how do you feel like your cycling is going like? no, no cycling is very much on the on the that's second tier in my life now yeah um the company I currently work for, or I just recently started a new position at a company called Apollo Bikes. Yeah. Um, so they're a cycling uh, wholesale business. Yeah. Um, so deal with you know really nice brands like Apollo, Felt, DT Swiss. Um, so really really nice brands to sort of. So I, I guess my job now is to. I can't think of a better job than to get to drive around and go visit nice bike shops and talk to people and have fun conversations and say, look, this is a product I think would suit your, either suit your needs mm-hmm. or potentially stand to help your business out. Um, how can we work together to potentially get this product inside of your store? Yeah. Uh, and what, what, what boxes this tick for you? Um, so through doing, through riding, cycling is almost a, a secondary a secondary point for me now because through riding and experiencing the equipment I get a better understanding of what I'm actually dealing with what I'm actually selling what I'm what I'm offering to people yeah um, so for me it's a real it's a lot of fun it's good getting to first-hand experience what I'm offering to people that's pretty good um, yeah. have you ever like you, you know you talk about um, uh, wanting to help people through their cycling journey yeah. kind of um, uh, oh, you yeah. know, I'm constantly trying to sell uni wheels. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> have you ever have you ever considered like the I, I suppose the other path of that have you ever considered like coaching or like uh, going down that route because that's yeah you know, very similar route a very similar goal just a different um, obviously a different side of the coin. I'd like to think that I can do it, mm-hmm. but I don't trust myself to try. Yeah. Um, uh, also, I kind of, I'm probably a bit of a pretty, probably a bit of a personal barrier thinking that who's going to want to take advice from someone who hasn't been a professional athlete. Mm-hmm. So that's probably what's stopping me from from giving coaching a go. Um, but yeah, I don't, it's not really super high on my super high on my priority list at the moment. Fair just, yeah. yeah, like I said, starting this new job, it's um, I'm having way too much fun to think about taking anything else, anything else on at the moment. That's good. Yeah, that's good. No, that's that's awesome. And um, and yeah, it sounds like you, you know, you're not just kind of doing it to, um, you get a paycheck at the end of the week. I think it's yeah. something that you're kind of passionate about as well, which is, yeah. which is good. Um, all right, cool. So any any goals coming up in the next like three six months this year? Is there anything you do want to achieve in cycling? So obviously, yeah, you can have it on the on the back burner. But is there anything that you want to any, any big races that you want to just have one crack at? Like, um, I don't even know what racing's coming up. I just know there's another crit next Tuesday. There is another crit next... It might be a bit late to kind of really improve fitness now, By the time then. you upload this, we're probably going to finish that crit. No, nah, I'm going to try and get it up today, oh, actually. Okay, cool. Yeah. Okay. It's hot um, off the press. Oh, God, hot off the press. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there's one one last crit left for the Richard's uh, crit series. Yep. Um, that's next Tuesday. So, obviously, the goal is for us to... To, to rock up and, and take another win in B grade which would be nice um, after that I've got no idea the plan is for me is just to see how much fun I can have riding my bike at the moment see how much you know like we, we had a discussion yesterday about oh you know you're, you're an avid user of training peaks and your, yeah. uh, your chronic training load yeah, and we're pretty low scorers on that. We are front very at the low moment. scorers. It's so, kind of like a golf match at the moment. Yeah, where yeah, yeah. We are 
Our uh, handicap is quite uh, quite <laughs> severe. <Yeah>. We're, <laughs> we're going for the lowest score possible. Just yeah, for that, I mean, yeah. yeah. So other than other than this is backwards to golf, whereas the higher your number, the bigger the, the better you are. Yeah. And, uh, it works very similar to. Well, we we treated the opposite. We treated the opposite. Yeah, yeah. So the lower the number, the the bigger handicap actually we have because we're pretty fucked in comparison to the guys we're up against. Um, but yeah, so. Yeah. Well, uh, well, Alison, who we just had on the podcast in the last episode, your better half. Yeah, she, she's got she a double... C, she's got a CTL of seventy, and yesterday we both had a CTL of forty-five. Oh wow! Yeah, so she uh, lost business. Oh, was it just were you and me were forty-five or her? No, no we were forty-five. Oh, she and Alison was, was on seven. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, she's kicking us. Yeah. <laughs> so if we had to race against Alison, we get dropped. Um, yeah, absolutely. Fair enough. So yeah, that's. Uh, I think the goal, the goal for this summer is to actually just try and grow the CTL for once. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> I'm gonna have to start getting up real early to do that though, because uh, like we just discussed with all the challenges of work and you know kids and all this good stuff, you know, trying to always balance right. Trying to find you know the time to give Sam a sleep in as well is uh, you know gonna have to start doing 4 a.m. rides to try and. I don't know how conducive that is to growing a CTL though. No, I feel like... I feel like it goes backwards. The more sleep I lose, yeah. the harder it is to gain fitness. Who knows? That's right. That's good. All right. Well, uh, thank you very much for being on the podcast today, Hannah. That was a... Uh, I, I hope it gives... I, I don't even know how the conversation went. I just feel like I just waffled on most of the time. Yeah, I think it... I think it went all right. Yeah. Sorry, I was just checking that we were still recording on the microphone. <laughs> um, and no, I think it, I think it went really well, mate. That was awesome. So, uh, anything else you want to add before we go? No, I don't know. I don't really have anything to add to that. I guess the only... Probably more for the aspiring cyclists of Perth or the junior guys. is just, you know, if you are going to give it a crack overseas, try and try and go with friends. Yeah. It's, it is hard. It does suck. You are going to have your head kicked in. So, give yourself... I guess what I've learned from going overseas is uh, for a lot of the young riders is give yourself more than three weeks because three weeks is how long it takes to adjust yeah. to the level of discomfort you're going to throw yourself into. After that, it'll start getting better. So don't don't just go for a short amount of time because you won't see that you won't see improvement. Yeah, and you'll just come back disheartened. Try and go with friends, and you know, go go somewhere where it's easy. If you've got family and friends overseas, go there. Yeah, absolutely. Anything to make that transition a bit easier for exactly, you, right? rather yeah. than dumping yourself in a completely and foreign hole. Unfortunately for Australia, that's one of the things you guys don't learn a second language at school. So make an effort and learn a second language. Yeah. <laughs> and get on it, man. <laughs> get on it, boys. Uh, that's cool. All right. Well, thank you very much, Heinrich, and um, I hope you have a good rest of your day. Oh, thanks, Whatever yeah. ride you're planning to do now, I'm just going home, so this should be an easy one for me. Yeah, yeah you got the tailwind now, man. <laughs> I've got the headwind. Thank you very much, Heinrich. Have a good day, mate. Thanks. thanks.